This is episode 245 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. There are a lot of people out there talking about the infinite banking strategy and whether or not it makes sense for them. To find out what it's all about and if it's a fit for you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines, where my audience can gain exclusive access to books, podcasts, and webinars tailor-made for real estate investors. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have Ping Su on the show, and he is the business partner of Andrew Parishus, who was on the show last week. So uh, these two are quite the dynamic uh, duo. They are incredible entrepreneurs and people. And I really enjoyed talking to Ping in this episode, as I did with Andrew in the previous, um, because he's just so full of knowledge and insights. Uh, he talked a lot about business building, the processes that he does on a daily basis. Uh, he talked about his teams. He also gave an example of how they're partnering with their clients on the property management side. So if they have a client come to them who's in a position where they can't afford to carry the property through, say, a tenant that's not paying or what have you, they come up with a win-win strategy to partner with that uh, that owner who will remain on title until they can get the property back to a position where they can sell it on the market. Uh, so it's a brilliant play. It's um, a creative strategy, and that's what entrepreneurs do. Uh, when it comes to real estate, you've got to be thinking creatively. You've got to be thinking about how can I add value to people and solve problems. And uh, that's exactly what uh, Ping was illustrating with this example. And that's just one of the many things that he does. So uh, we talked uh, at depth about his businesses and also what his plans are going forward. Um, I shared some of my thoughts on the performance of this podcast and how things have changed. The sentiment out there has changed. People used to be able to sign on to any deal and make money. They could do a burr and spend way too much money, but be saved by the market. It seems that those, those days have changed. Uh, so I opened up a little bit in this episode too about some of the things I'm seeing, how it's affected the performance of this podcast. It hasn't grown this year like it did in the past. In fact, it's actually contracted a little bit. Um, and I attribute that, and I don't know for a fact, but I attribute that to a sentiment in general about real estate investing uh, in this higher interest rate climate and what's, what's changed. I think that a lot of the people who were only on the sidelines have sort of stepped back. You know, they're not, it's not as sexy as it used to be. So uh, we got into that a little bit in this episode. Uh, and with that being said, um, I want to keep growing this podcast. So my request to you, if you're listening and, uh, and you haven't already, could you please rate and review the podcast? That will help. Uh, also, if you know somebody who's interested and you think this information could help them, please share this with them. Um, again, I want to get back on that trajectory of, of growing. And if you found value in this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you would help me do that. Um, with that said, I want to remind you about the GTA West REI meetup. As I record this, I have one coming up this week. But please make sure that you're a part of the group uh, that is in the link for this episode. And you can attend on a future event. And uh, I'd love to meet you, um, hear your story. And you can, of course, meet other real estate investors that are actively doing stuff and uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, it's it's so important to have community and to have a great network when you're in this business uh, because that's how you can avoid inventing the wheel. You can talk to people who are doing things, get ideas, trade secrets. Um, it's a very sharing community I've found in my experience. And uh, that's my sales pitch for the completely free event uh, I highly recommend you take advantage of. So with that being said, let's jump in to episode 245 with Ping Su. 
Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Ping Su on the show and you had me on your show a little while back yes. with Andrew, who was just on the show last week's episode. So I'm glad we could put this all together in sequence. Awesome. But, thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming. Get to hear the other side of the story. So uh, Andrew shared a bunch of kind of his backstory last week and uh, he went through uh, his investing strategy, how he started. Uh, but we more focused on before you two worked together. So I'd love to hear kind of I see. Well, your story leading up to that and, and then what you're doing now. Oh yeah. No, sounds good. So maybe I'll start with a bit about myself then. Yeah, give me the backstory. Yeah. Yeah. So uh born and raised in Taiwan, moved to Canada basically back in like twenty seventeen. Uh, sorry, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Okay. We were actually on the east coast of PEI, Prince of Edward Island. Oh yeah? Yeah, for a couple of years and then uh I got uh, applied to McMaster, got accepted. Mm -hmm. And that's actually when my real estate journey started. My mom, like right before we moved, my mom sent me down. She wrote 20 on my notebook. And then she's like, Ping, you got two jobs that you need to accomplish in the next like 45 years. One is your engineering degree, which is what, what I got in for. Um, the second one is like 20 tenants paying you rent. 20 tenants? Yeah. How did your mom have that plan for you? Yeah, so she's been investing like back in Taiwan, right? Like growing up, like she's, a, I think she got in also pretty early, like early 20s or something. Um, so yeah, she's been educating herself on the investments and all that stuff. And that's really the reason why we're able to actually move to Canada, right? It's mm -hmm. all the investment portfolio that she, she built back home. Um, my dad was the same way, like a very investment uh, driven type of person. So they wanted to kind of like give me that kind of skill set. Um, as I'm going through the formal education, but they did not want me to be a business guy or like a rugby running a business. They just want me to be staying in an engineering firm, you oh, know, okay. And having people pay you exactly. Cause they feel like a business is just too much overhead, too much stress and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So my path was kind of like, uh, planned. Yeah. They cut it all out for you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, everything to do. I don't know if I like that too much, but anyway, so uh, first year when we first got our very first property, uh, it was, they, they supported me with that, uh, six rooms, seven rooms, eight rooms, and, and seven rooms, all of them were value add, uh, type of strategy. So by the time I finished school, 27 rooms, achieved my goal. Right? So they were sort of funding you to acquire them at that yeah. time. Yeah. That's great. I, I didn't have any money, right? <laughs> and, oh, that's, that, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But you did have the market knowledge. You, you, you're able to see what was going on there. Yeah. As I learned, the, the truth is I didn't know a lot, right? I, yeah. It was just, a uh, the number made sense. The refi from Taiwan was like, was like they're offering like two to 3% interest rate. Right? So you're so, getting uh, Taiwanese banks to lend? Yeah. On the Canadian real estate? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's essentially how, how we started, right? Cause they got like, enough portfolio equity back home and they were like, Hey, here's what you can do. Oh, right. Okay. And use it as a learning opportunity for me to really get to know, um, the real estate investing site. Right. But just so you know, I never found that sexy or anything because uh, growing up, I remember like hot, like getting rid of junks, right. Whenever there's a tendency turnover, painting the yeah. units, right. It, it was never, I never saw landlording being super sexy or anything. Yeah. It's just like. Okay, another thing I need Does to do. Does anyone see landlording as sexy? I feel like they just they like the idea of cash flow. Yeah, it, yeah, but just, okay. I mean, I guess some people probably do think it's sexy somehow. Uh, it, <laughs> it could be sexy if you're completely hands off, which I think in their head they think they can be. But no, not not yeah. yeah. Generally not, especially <laughs> early on. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely not passive, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, after 2015 though, um, I got a job. Didn't really like what I was doing. Like I saw how the how how that environment corporate world actually works. And I'm like, you know what, this is not really for me. So I wanted to really pivot like two, three months in, I, I wanted to pivot already. So mm -hmm. 
from there, um, actually at the time I already met Andrew, still my um, my wife at the time was girlfriend, and we met. We talked about real estate. We're like, what can we do together, right? Mm-hmm. Outside the family portfolio, Andrew at the time had way more resources than I than I did, mm-hmm. right? So uh, he's already got a few like multi-family buildings, and he's running a construction company with his family. Mm-hmm. And then we're just chatting. We're like, okay, in order for me to quit my job, I need to figure out how to replace my income, right? Because mm-hmm. even though I have twenty-seven tenants paying me rent. After all the expense, it's only fifteen hundred per month. Oh, okay. The, yeah. They're all debt, right? They, they're all like the yeah. loan. There's an interest payment uh, on top of each other, and I was so scared of using any of that because one roof repair, HVAC yeah, yeah, goes up. Yeah, you don't want to touch that. Not on that that many properties. Exactly, yeah. right? But um, it's a pivotal moment because now I need to figure out how to do more real estate outside of family, which my family at the time, well, even right now, doesn't want me to mix the personal with the business, mm-hmm. right? Because now there's another party involved. So we were chatting. We did like two. We were trying to tax sale. We were doing uh, flips and couple of, couple of flips, and then we got two more student rentals in St. Catherine. Just a good process yeah. until there's one deal. Um, was also a pivotal mo- moment for both me and Andrew. That one deal was uh, 18 rooms, one huge commercial um, on the on the on the main floor, a big lot sitting on a big lot, and uh, we got everything sorted, everything under contract. On the day of, um, actually, so offer was accepted, but on the day of the uh, putting on deposit, the investor backed out. Mm-hmm. And then we had nobody else to reach out to and say, hey, listen, like, we need to close on this one and yada, yada, yada. So we did have enough time to maybe find a different investor, but just us like, being in the industry, we're like, you know what, we don't want to take that risk. So we exited that, that, uh, that deal. Um, and the next thing we're like, okay, we don't have enough investors on our database. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do? Um, one is to build out the investor list. Number two is to replace my income so I can focus on this full time. Yeah. And then we chose the. Uh, we were looking around. We actually started a property management company, right? That's a great way to build a network. <laughs> uh, I yeah. said that to Andrew last last time uh, or when he was on. It's just that's such a good idea and not not a sexy one at all. Oh, it's totally not a sexy <laughs> one. <laughs> Very thankless job, I think, in general. But exactly. But great contacts and you're right close to the deals if people don't want to want to own something hey i can help you out exactly and yeah some people ask us about like our deal flow right a lot of them came from property management yeah right because that's when landlords have problems and and uh, they they don't really reach out to property managers until they have a problem so every time a phone call comes in or email comes in the very first thing we do is try to understand, understand the situation including their financial situation Right. How much money can you actually yeah. pay to solve that problem? If you don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. boom. Okay, maybe the next thing that we need to discuss is to either take over your property, like take yeah. over your ownership for a discount price, or we can do a joint venture. Mm-hmm. Right. So you do joint ventures with people say, just sell us half yeah. the equity or give us half the equity and we'll manage it. Yeah, yeah. We call that Novation Agreement. Yeah. What is it called? Novation. Novation? Yeah, it, it's a it's a new term, I think, in, in the US right now. We didn't know that that's what we're doing, but we're just structuring the uh the agreement with the current owner who doesn't who ran out of funds basically. Yeah. Right. And then we say, Hey, listen, why don't we price it at X amount today? And today then, yeah. and then we'll join, we'll inject the capital for your property. But the, the goal of this property is to actually sell it so that you and I we can both cash out move on to the next project. Okay, so it's a short-term plan. They already own it. You pay the renovations to get it to where it needs to be to sell it. Yeah. And then sell it. Yeah. And you're sell- these are rental properties always, or are they? C- could they be homes as well? No, mostly rental properties. Just like multiplexes and stuff like that. Yeah, or sometimes it could be a single-family rental, right? Which that could be turned over into a home or could be used as a home. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So like in one of those strategies, is that is that something that you guys would be evicting tenants or not evicting, but trying to turn over uh, units and yeah, all that you, kind of thing? Usually when the when the uh, clients come to us with that kind of problem is usually because they stop paying rent. Okay, so you're working on getting the tenant out, <laughs> yeah. like helping them get through that hard period to get to the point of being able to sell. And then so the other tenants, if they're still paying, you leave them alone, replace the one that wasn't paying with a higher paying tenant, hopefully. Exactly. Or a exactly. paying tenant. <laughs> yeah. Well, it basically, it's a problem that we need to resolve. And then by resolving that issue, we earn the right to actually purchase their property or be part of the homeowner. And then we can either yeah. burn that property or flip that property. So give me an example of what what a value might be. So somebody comes to you, is it a, you know, is a recent one like a duplex or a triplex? Sure. And it has like one tenant not paying, but the owner can't handle that. Right. So let me give you an actual example. There. Sure. Okay. So uh, a client's actually bought a townhouse in downtown Hamilton, uh, was, I believe it was like 2013, mm -hmm. 2014, 2014, I believe. Well, I think he bought it at like about like 340K. And then uh, first year was okay. Second year was uh, obviously things started falling through. Mm -hmm. Third year he approached us. Okay, I, I'm, I remember clearly that's 2017. Mm -hmm. 340K came to us with a problem, right? There's a other problem that, cause it's a rural house altogether. So the sewer was backing up from a neighbor's house. Hmm. And the neighbor uh, is planning on selling that property. So long story short, he's coordinating between the neighbor and the tenants all of a sudden stop paying rent and they just decided to live there rent free, right? They're getting their waters and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. he wasn't getting anything for almost like six to eight months. And then he's like, okay, listen, like I'm actually a little stressed out because I already put my lot of credit to create the buffer, yeah. right? So now we're going into the, the eviction process, right? Because now it's like, now we, we need to get the cities involved. Right. Um, there's a kiss in the, in the house, by the way, Cats. right? No kids, kids. Okay. Kids. Yeah. So long story short, we actually came to an agreement, do the cash for keys, right? Get a, get the tenants out to the non-paying tenant, non-paying tenants. Yeah. So they did a cash for keys. Yeah. I, I haven't heard too many people say that, but I mean, I, that would make sense. Hey, like mm -hmm. obviously this is going to come back to haunt you. You're going to like, you know, you're going to go to collections down the road. It might not happen right away, but this is going to hurt you. Why don't we just work something out? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we did. And, yeah. but then uh, before we enter into that collaboration or like yeah, collaboration with the clients, we're like, okay, we want to earn the, we want to have a right to actually help you get out of this, flip this property. So we're looking at the, the ARVOs anywhere between like 450, 470 at the time. We're like, why like don't a we single, just a single townhouse yeah. unit? Yeah. Okay. So 450, 475 and that you thought that's when it's done. If it's evicted, no renovations needed. No, there's a renovation needed. So some renovations, some renovation, like 40 K, right. Okay. Touch up and all that stuff. So what we did is that we agree on the original price as a, as our buying price. So three forty. So he paid, he paid three forty. Okay. Yeah. And then we say, instead of us, uh, so you get to, so basically everything we bought in was at three forty. We're going to fund you, uh, the cash flow keys plus the renovation. So we ended up funding, uh, I think 60 or 70 K in the yeah. whole process. And then after that, me being a listing agent, right? I also get a cut or I can yeah, building my service fee. portion of the, the fee. Yeah, exactly. So I'm also going to be the listing agent to sell that property. So from there, I'm getting 50% of a profit plus the listing service yeah. uh, for the company basically. Yeah. Okay. So we structured so, this over and over again. It's so extremely profitable. 470 you sold it for? 495. 495. Yeah. Okay. And then, so total commissions would be what? 5% on that? Four, four no, no, so 2.5%. Yeah, but you, I mean, you're obviously getting paid. So did you double end it? The buyer came direct? Oh, no, no, no. No, so yeah. you did pay out two, yes. two and a half plus you, your side got some too. 
That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so assuming, generally speaking, people are paying their realtors what, between four and a half and five percent, usually somewhere in that. Yeah. Combined. Um, okay, so you did that, taking that off. So what did you end up with on that deal? Like how much was left after, after say you took off like the four and a half percent? I believe it was like 20 to 25. Somewhere in there? Somewhere around plus a commission. Which plus your commission, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you guys were splitting basically 20. So you got 10 and then the other guy got 10? No, no, no. So that's our portion. Oh, yeah. you just keep it. So you agree to pay to buy it from him, but he has to hold it until you guys can sell it. No, no, no. Sorry. I apologize. Oh, so that the, was your portion. So that's 40 my portion. was total. Exactly. Ah, okay. Yeah. That clarifies it. Okay. So 40 grand in profit split two ways. So that's a big win-win. So the seller gets out of a jam or the owner exactly. gets out of a jam. They don't yeah. have to do it. Did you manage everything for him? Yeah. Like, so they didn't really have to do anything at that point. No. You made sure that uh their mortgage payments wouldn't bounce i guess yeah you exactly. gave him enough money that he would he would be able to do that like how did that work or yes. he had enough to cover that so we cover half of that basically like okay. as soon as we enter into the agreement you start covering half the mortgage payment. exactly okay yeah uh, and, but again that that's just one of the examples right uh, yeah. there's a lot of a creative deals that we did within property management and that's why a lot of people like, i get asked a lot of time that how come you guys are running a property management company? I'm like, it's like, it's like it, lead gen. It's like sending out flyers. Yeah. Probably better. I don't know. Like, yeah, you're going to get a lot of real, especially because you know your niche with that. Like, you know how to, how to approach those deals. Yeah. And imagine the seller uh, yeah. or owner who's going through that kind of problem, right? It, it yeah. really makes them question about the real estate investing. So now they, this, uh, there's a couple of clients that actually turn into our private lenders. I feel like those people, yeah, yeah they're gonna, you're going to have their loyalty after that. Oh, these guys came in. They said they were going to do it. They did it. Mm -hmm. And then they're doing other projects. They said, do you want to invest? Okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. It, it's almost worth starting up a property management company for that. <laughs> I don't know about that. If we knew what we know now. About uh, management? About management, we probably wouldn't start it. Because uh, yeah. there's a, also a story on how, so everything we do is pretty uh, sequential. A lot of people are yeah. saying that, how come you're running many different things? literally because it made sense at the time, mm. right? So when we we're running property management, we had an idea of uh, expanding our investor list, right? That's one thing. And second thing is that like we need a, we need income, right? We need an income replacement for for our job. And that right? was the management side of things. That was the management side of, side of thing. And uh, yeah. but 2017, all of a sudden we're like, we can start raising capital from the people that were managing the properties for because who are you going to trust? Someone on the internet or someone who's taking over? Yeah, they're already working with process. you. Yeah, you're already working together. Yeah. And so we actually raised 100% capital for a sixplex, which was the very first uh, sixplex that we got in back in 2017. And uh, mm -hmm. it was a value add strategies and all that. So that was interesting. And then uh, 2018, we also started incorporating the sales service because we're like, okay, so many people are in this industry right now uh, investing. And uh, we we literally took the total numbers for, of uh, transactions that they do, divide by the total number of our clients. And some people are long-term, some people are short-term strategy, but on average, every investor is selling or buying uh, a property every other year. So I'm like, mm -hmm. now we have like 60 clients. That's equivalent to 30 sales that we're leaving on the table. So, right. and this is before you got your real estate license that you were thinking that? Uh, so in between, I was already thinking about that, yeah. but that idea was like, okay, we need to speed this up. So you're, you basically are soliciting your management clients for, Hey, if you want to sell, I can actually list that on the market for you. That's correct. Yeah. Or if you want to buy or get into the multifamily yeah. space, let me, let me know. I'll help you. Yeah. Let me know. Uh, let, let me help you offload a couple well, of properties and the interesting get into space. thing, like you could, you could reach out to every one of these people directly, learn their situation and say, Hey, do you 
do you want more of this type of building? Like, you know, what are your goals? Like learn and understand that. Like these are people who you actively have a reason to talk to on a regular basis anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There, there is a problem though. Yeah. Uh, when I started doing that, the credibility wasn't there, right? Cause yeah. people want to talk about small repair bills, financials and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. at some point we had to start separating the management, like de detaching myself from the management operation completely. Yeah. So the moment that people talk to me about the small bills, I can just deflect that to, yeah. for example, the, the, the operation manager. Yeah, we'll have our operations manager, you know, but, but yeah. I want to talk to you about this today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you get stay stay focused on the big stuff. Yeah. Which I think that, that adds credibility to you. Like you've got, you've built an organization. Like, because if you're spending all your time with the small stuff, you, you know. You can't. You're not really able to service them at a higher level. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, so a lot of a uh, pivotal moment for us, and uh, I think a lot of things that we focus on is uh, how to capitalize on the on the business opportunities over just the just the investment. Because a lot of people are talking about real estate investing is long term play and all that stuff. I get it, but at the same time, we all have bills to pay. We all have a certain lifestyle mm -hmm. that we want to sustain, right? So how do you manage both in this industry? Alone? Yeah, well, that's your. So the concept of short money, medium money, long money, like you oh, need exactly. your short term money and that's your short term money. You replaced your job, then you you know, your medium and long, you have a various different real estate projects you're doing plus your long term holdings. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so you got all those boxes ticked. And I like how you have you know, you've built in future income for just clients doing new business with you, buying other things from you, doing transactions with you, yeah. maybe selling you their property. <laughs> it, it's like a business that feeds itself. Yeah, that's why that's why we even up until this point is uh, as much as we don't like the property management division, it's like it's such a strong lead generation and uh, it fits all the it actually pays off all the bills. Right? It's, a, so, it's a necessary evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it, is it like are you guys at eight percent plus leasing fees? Is that pretty standard? We do we do flat fee. Flat fee? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because uh, the software that we're using, like the moment that we need to do percentage, now we have to add entry. Oh, yeah. Right, like we have to do manual entry for HSD and all that yeah. stuff. So we're like, just okay. do flat fee. You just do flat fees. So yeah. you have like a set number for a house or an apartment. Yeah, roughly answer 67% is what we're charging. But yeah. I also wanted to be clear that we're not accepting any more management clients. Yeah. We just want to service our own uh, yeah. current client base and then uh, develop our, our new business model. And how many clients a, do you have? Like 130. 130. That's more yeah. than enough to like feed you for business. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you get them referring people that are selling as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. People who are working with us already, if they want to expand their portfolio, we're not going to say no. If they have great friends, like close friends that want, that need some help and then uh, we're assessing the portfolio, we're like, okay, it's worth to take on. We'll yeah. do it. But any other people that come in, usually we either refer out or we yeah. try to understand the situation, see if we can take on the project. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, what's your, your methodology when these clients approach you? Like I, I know you said you worked out that you were going to just pay the investor what they had paid for the house on that, that first example. Yeah. Were you working backwards for a desired level of profit? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Everything, everything's backwards, right? So you because, just figured I need, we need to make 40 grand on this minimum. Yeah. So if we're going to do that, we're going to pay you whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, there's a minimum profit that we always look at. Uh, to be honest, right now, all the flips that we're doing, anything under four units, it has to be a minimum of uh, 50K, right? 50K profit minimum. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, if there's a market fluctuation, right? Obviously. Yeah. We, it could eat up your profit. Exactly. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hi friends, I just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program. This is the first time I've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate. So if you've followed me for some time and you feel that I would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set, based on the topics we cover on this show, I encourage you to head over to my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together. Let's face it, most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies, different deals that they're looking at, and helping to springboard ideas back and forth. This is a program that's exactly for that. So if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire, and let's schedule a chat. Yeah, this is something that I... Um like I look at on, on my, my new builds in Florida, like the numbers used to look better and, and now it's gotten tight because the values obviously came down a bit, but then uh, construction costs have come up and uh, I'm basically holding off on pulling the trigger on any new ones because it, it would make more sense to just sell the lots as they are, right. the ones I have left, rather than go into something that looks like it make 15, 20 grand. Like mm. that's to me, that's too small because all it takes is a swing For or sure. some construction costs go up and then profit's gone. Exactly. So yeah. why go through eight months of that? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's tons of work. Yeah. I'd rather lose a little bit and liquidate right away. Mm -hmm. It's just easier. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm thinking with that. So we were talking offline about some other stuff that I'm working on right now. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm big on money needs to work in its most efficient place. So if it can do if it can perform better in another another investment, that's where I want to put it. Yeah. Uh, rather than, you know, sort of cry over spilled milk. <laughs> but exactly. in your case, yeah, you're just probably from experience, you know, the swings and what they can do. And if you have a bad swing, you've probably had projects that didn't profit because you guys were were too marginal. For example, 2017, right? Yeah. 2017 was the very first time I experienced that mm -hmm. uh, when the moment that they changed the foreign tax law uh, or, or uh, rule, it, it really like, I think it put a pause on the market for almost like 14 months. Mm -hmm. We had one project that was going on and they were like, ah, oh, we can't cash out. Right, yeah. so that was my very first taste of a real estate market can shift very quickly, and yeah. uh, you either have to you need to make a business decision on whether or not you want to just take a loss, mm -hmm. move on, recoup some of your your capital back, and just move on to the next uh, opportunity, or mm -hmm. or you're holding it, right? Yeah. But the truth is, I as long as we can hold it long enough without feeling too stressed out, uh, the market will bail you out over yeah. time. Yeah, time time seems to cure all wounds with real estate, but it's just how much time. In some exactly. in some cases, it's taken a lot of time. Yeah, I like that that happened to you in such a um, mild way. <laughs> like, <'cause laughs> did you you came out of it okay, right? Yeah, twenty seventeen was okay. Even right now, I think we're getting out of it okay. Uh, we, on some we, of the ones that you were holding the bag on here. Yeah, uh, we did take a loss on one project, one hundred thirty k loss in Brentford. Okay. Um, it hurts, like yeah. don't get me wrong, but the amount of profit that we were doing the prior to that was okay too. Yeah, it offsets yeah. it. So still a profitable year for you. Yeah, yeah, but I wouldn't say too profitable. It's just uh, yeah. uh, we, we gotta keep up the momentum, right? And then we need mm -hmm. to we need to always have a enough cash reserve in the bank account so that when the yeah. next opportunity comes, like we can capitalize on it. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to reflect on the fact that like it, there's a built-in risk to any type of investment and that's a big part of the reason why you're compensated 
and why you need to be compensated to do it because right. you could win really big on a whole bunch of deals and then you take a loss yeah which is why you need to win big on the other ones <laughs> yeah so yeah. you can afford to yeah i really love what luke was uh telling us on on our podcast um that was like a, i think three months ago he was saying that if, uh, investing is a probability game Mm -hmm. right so sometimes you buy you might be buying a property and then you flip it, you're like making some good profit but you made a wrong business decision yeah right? just like at the casino it's the opposite of the casino right the odds are against you at the casino in real estate if you're doing it right they should be with you exactly yeah so as long as we have a right expectation that not all the deals are going to be profitable mm -hmm. like we just need to get better at making those investment decisions every yeah. single time and once in a while if it's not good just learn from it move on because yeah. the momentum speed of implementation I think it's more important yeah. in business than anything. Yeah, that was Luke yeah. Byrne? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Is it's, he still uh, wholesaling? I think so. Uh, he actually adapted his strategy into flipping more. Um, so more more flipping. Yeah, because like, yeah. there's not a lot of buyers at this moment, right? Yeah, wholesaling seems to have gotten quite quiet. Exactly. But yeah. are, do you guys do wholesale any of the stuff you find? M more hoteling, I'll be honest. Hotel, meaning that you're just posting it for sale? Like yeah. You're, you're yeah. On the market? Exactly. Yeah. Clean up, just uh, list it back on the market get a maximum mm -hmm. exposure and just get people to pick up. I mean, at the end of the day, you guys can still probably find some killer deals right now, right? Like, especially because yeah. buyers aren't, don't, or sorry, sellers don't have this false sense of confidence about their sale prices anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't think. No, not no. anymore. No, they, their, their expectations have come back down to earth, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have the ability to be a little bit more aggressive on the negotiations again, probably. For sure. Usually we're negotiating on the timeline, right? Like, what do you need to sell, right? Yeah. There's a level of uh, motivation and desperation yeah. for every single seller. Some people are testing the water, but there's a reason why they list it for sale right now. Yeah. There's a reason, right? So just depending on how what's a, how long or how short uh, the, the, time, the mm -hmm. timeline is, that's going to kind of allow us to understand how much we can negotiate. Yeah. So are you, are you sending out flyers? I think Andrew had said that you are. So you yeah. still have that on autopilot? Uh, not on autopilot. Um, we actually put a pause on that and then we switch our strategy into door hangers instead of the- Door hangers, okay. Yeah, yeah that's different. Because yeah. those flyers are super overdone at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But door hangers is like you're putting it on other people's door, right? You need to grab it. So are you it. paying somebody to go out and do this? Because yeah. the mail service won't do it. Exactly. I, I, so there's one company in, uh, in Toronto, they do yeah. that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I looked into doing that. I actually bought the hangers and then we paid somebody to put them out and I'm pretty sure they just threw them in a dumpster. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> oh, they took picture. But oh, yeah. but they only took maybe like 20, 30 photos, right? So yeah. maybe part of that is still. Yeah, total, totally possible. No, I'm yeah. pretty sure like these ones did not take a picture nor did ever contact us again after they took our money. I'm pretty sure they literally did just throw them in a the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. That, and maybe that's why we're not getting enough leads. You're not, you don't find you're getting that many out of them? No, not, it's just not like, enough. I feel like the sentiments changed this year. And I don't know if you guys have seen it too, uh, but this podcast, the audience grew like 35% a year, pretty much like nice. consistently up until this year. Oh, wow. This year I found it's different. And I don't know if it's just, there's more, more content out there or if uh, I, I feel like my, my gut feeling is that the sentiment about real estate investing has changed to a degree. Maybe maybe yeah because the people are a lot more fearful they're fearful like, yeah. like the the sexiness of real estate investing has gone away to mm -hmm. a degree not to the really serious people who and, and i think i don't think it was ever sexy sexy to the really serious people they just realized that it worked but a lot of the sideline uh viewers and listeners i don't think that they see the easy way in anymore because it used to be you could just basically buy anything and it goes up in value and, yeah and you win right For sure 
those days are not here anymore. Like, yeah, they might go up a bit, but it, you have to focus on making the deal. And that's work. So that makes it less sexy. <laughs> exactly. That's my take. I don't know. Like, I'm just, I don't know the real reason, but I've, I've noticed that the, uh, the listenership is down actually a little bit. Viewership is, I mean, YouTube was never super productive it was always the other platforms I have see. you noticed that with your platform at all we, we're pushing hard on youtube because we're producing yeah. a lot of short form content right yeah now. so you've scaled yeah. up your offerings and 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 yeah. i have like that's the other thing is like we do a lot of short form content we're putting a lot more into it mm -hmm. um i again i think it's more sentiment than anything i i yeah i believe so actually because yeah. i'm more and more people obviously even racing capital is a a lot more challenging compared to before right when things are yeah fearful right yeah. people are fearful and you know there's this you know obviously you've heard to yeah be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful yeah. this is a time of opportunity which you're actually still seeing because you're, you're doing it but you're obviously having to work a little harder to to do all those things yeah so our next pivotal moment is definitely going to be in the states so yeah, yeah because I, our strategy has adapted into we're holding the commercial properties that we we feel like it's going to be in good condition uh, mm -hmm. sorry good location um the the appreciation the room for appreciation is going to be pretty decent over the next maybe two to five years like mm -hmm. those properties we're still holding and I think if we want to get into any property, it's going to be that type of uh, asset class. We don't want to be touching anything under four units anymore. And mm -hmm. I'm talking about in terms of the buy and hold, right? Yeah. You'll still flip whatever. Yeah, like yeah. I want to, because right now there's a, that's that's one thing. The second thing is that I don't want to be relying on my return on whether or not tenant is going to be paying rent. Because a uh, landlord tenant board right now to me is a very risky component uh, to a lot of investors. It It is like... I, I, I put it in two sort of um, sides of the equation because on one hand, if you're just like a good, respectful landlord who prepares, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't break your business. But if your business model is dealing with that type of tenant, that's very likely to not pay. <laughs> that's kind of worse. Like if you're yeah. a pure student rental investor who's got like parental guarantees across six students or whatever, not very likely that you're not going to get paid. Right. But yeah, I guess if you guys are investing in you know, Hamilton multiplexes, you probably have a good number of people who, who do that on the regular. Yeah, like I, I, yeah, I feel like that running a property management business allowed us to see the dark side of people, right? People who are really trying yeah. to like play the game. And even like there's one rental, high-end rental that we're talking about, like people, like we actually got, almost got a professional tendency in there. Oh, they yeah. were so smooth with uh, their application and this and that. But the moment that we caught them right before they need to move in, it's a, it's a, because uh, they actually had a truck booked ready a day before. Yeah. And they tried to like push themselves in. And that's when we're like, okay, listen, something's off. Right. Because they were trying to push themselves in a day early. Yeah. It, it's just weird. What it, about that? Like seemed weird to you? Because uh, we agreed on a timeline. You showed up a day before. You okay. So they, they seemed like they weren't honoring their word. They, exactly. they were. Okay. Yeah. So it was already settled. Did you um, did you look up look them up on like Canley to see if they had like a court case in the past? No, because I wasn't actually part of the property management uh, divisions anymore. I haven't been, I, I'm so detached from the property management site since like 2019. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. you just found out about this. I just heard about this from my leasing manager yeah. and leasing manager was like finding it a little weird. And then uh, she yeah. talked to our like yeah. uh, operation manager and then we're like, we're doing yeah. some like Google search or whatever. And then we're like, okay, we need to stop. Yeah. Right. Have you ever done that in the Canley lookup? I've looked, I've looked I've to find been. a tenant's name. I couldn't because I had tenants who stiffed me for some money and I tried to find them, but mm -hmm. no, they didn't, they didn't have anything there. But I've heard Kayla Andrade mention, I believe it was her, that, that you can actually 
look them up. And if they were ever evicted and involved in an eviction, they should show up there. Nice. If it went that far, right? But right. it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't give you anything if, uh, if you didn't get that far. But That's since it. we're on the topic, how do you prevent against that? Like, what does your team do to prevent those situations from happening? Yeah, so there's a multiple screening process. I'll be honest with you, I, I haven't done this part for a long time. So, yeah, so they run that. They run like, uh, yeah, they, they run that. And uh, usually I kind of, my meeting is really with a account manager, right? Yeah. My, my, my finance manager, and she let me know about the P&L for the, for the property management division, uh, the vendor P&L, that's super important for property management business. And, uh, but yeah, usually if they're, if the number is off or something's a little off, then I talk to the operational manager, mm -hmm. right? Usually things get escalated to injury actually. Yeah. Yeah. Injury is kind of like the, the head of that division plus the project management. Okay. Yeah. I'm more focused on the sales and the investment in property hustlers, the growth of property hustlers at this moment. And property hustlers being the brand of media, like the media brand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are doing a great job, by the way. Your, your you. content's good. I, I can tell you put a lot of effort into it. Oh man, learning curve is high. Yeah, yeah, learning curve. And you guys kind of came out of nowhere. I was not aware of you, and then I saw. You, I know you reached out to me. I look back on our old, our old uh, texts, and uh, yeah, like just out of nowhere, you guys were throwing out some awesome content. And uh, I'm like, who are these guys? I got to get them on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So that was uh, that was cool to see. Um, your organization, like how many how many people are in it, and like what's the general structure? Okay, so we overscaled two components of our business. One is for property management, and the other one is a realtor, a realty. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but yeah, about three, four months ago, we cut it down to finally cut it down to actually eight full time employees only, with mm -hmm. obviously some part timers, okay. uh, vendors, and all that. But now we're back to 12. 12, okay. Yeah. And that's that handle. So on your real estate side, is this something that's sort of part of the group with Andrew? Like you, that's all sort of part of the same operation? Yeah. So we have a referral structure, obviously. Anything that comes from property management comes in. There's a cut for that. Uh, yeah. Pretty high percentage cut. Um, anything else that agents does, um, then uh, there's a different split. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where's your, like what brokerage are you with? EXP. EXP? Yeah. Is that the one where you get like a percentage of everyone who comes in under you? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But it's a tough business. I actually yeah. tried to uh, see if I can explore that options a little bit. At the time, I had nine agents under under me. Yeah. Oh my god, so much work. Yeah. <laughs> so much work. So much babysitting. Yeah. I I think there is a a guy. Uh, I've heard of people who like their whole business is just bringing people in for that. It's not profitable. Yeah, I bet yeah. you it'd be very hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh that's interesting. Yeah, I think Keller Williams is another one that gives you a, a piece. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that. I don't know. I'm just. Keep my ear to the ground with this because like, like obviously yeah. keller williams is a big one that a lot of investors are with for sure um for whatever reason i think gary, gary keller is a big inspiration with that just yeah. because he has his books and stuff so yeah makes sense not to go on a tangent uh <laughs> so tell me i mean if somebody were to ask you high level like what do you do how would you answer them great question i usually just say that i'm a realtor right to keep things like if i'm just meeting anybody yeah. or touching base with friends right hey how are things hey not bad right what do you do now i'm a realtor it's a great way to shut down a conversation you know what it's, <laughs> it's just so much easier because I, I i don't i i try multiple different things i i talk about yeah. real estate being a real real estate investor most people don't actually understand that and most people will be like oh cool really and, you yeah. don't get the how do you do that not as much yeah you not could say much. my buddy my buddy told me this one. I thought it was great because however you answer the question of how do you, what do you do will either get you a response or get 
like get you a question or shut down a conversation. Yeah. So if he would say, oh, I help people earn a real estate, um, help people earn a, a return in real estate investing mm-hmm. without doing anything or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. And then, oh, how do you do that? And then, oh, great, great question. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah. I, I I say realtor because usually people will, will respond to you with, oh, how's the market right now? Oh, okay. So then, it's actually very relevant right now. Yeah. They're, they're going to ask. Yeah. So based on that question, I can, depending yeah. on what they need, I, I yeah. Yeah, I discuss yeah. whatever they, they want to discuss. And are you trying to build that business? Like, is that, or is that something you're just happy, like, for whatever comes? Like, do you do you aggressively try and build it, or you're just good with whatever comes through your existing I, operations? I did that for a couple of years and then uh, failed miserably. <laughs> I, I want to say that because, man, the, the amount of working attention is so, so heavy compared to any other business, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, I can focus on, so I actually came to a theory. Um, basically like how to run this business, right? So people who are dealing with a resale, people who are dealing with, a, let's say, pre-con, pre-construction, right? Investor in residential, investors in commercial, and people who are working with the developers, right? You can literally scale up that business in every single um, segment, mm-hmm. right? But in order for us to be, to be building up a big team, you need to be focusing on the resale and pre-con a little bit. And yeah. right now, the market in pre-con is not that great, right? This, no. They're not building quick enough, right? They're not building quick enough. And like on that topic, do you do you think the numbers are working right now? Because the pre-construction numbers, as far as I, I know, have gone up. So the prices to buy have gone up. So you're sort of like buying. It seems like you're buying over market value right now. All the time. Yeah. And people are still doing that. Because people people who are buying it are usually fall, falling into uh, two categories. One is that they don't have enough saving to put on like five or even up to 20 percent of down payment. Second one is that their credit is not, not that great yet. So they can get in now and work on their credit in the meantime. But yeah. that's not going to move as many units. In probably general. not. No, probably not. So for the average person, do you think that like that makes sense for them to do to, to buy into pre-construction? No. I mean, it, they're kind of banking on things going up. Like they have to go up for it to make sense. I guess like I, that's that's my interpretation of it. I don't see how it makes sense otherwise. I would never recommend anybody to do pre-con because, uh, yeah. because like... Uh, you don't you you have zero control over the product. You have zero control over the timeline, mm-hmm. right? So you're buying buying it solely for a speculation. It is speculative, right? But yeah. I but I know people who like that's their like claim to fame. That's how they got. That's how they made it, right? And yeah. but to your point earlier, it doesn't mean that was the right move. Just because it worked doesn't mean that that was yeah. the right move. And I I'm not taking a hard position on this. I I just I like to get opinions on this, especially from people who are in the real estate working as realtors and. Investors alike, like, because I have, I do have other people reaching out. I said, I was going to actually host a, like just a live session for, I just wanted people to debate each other. Does pre-construction work now? That would be nice, man. (laughs) That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a bunch of takers on that. I just haven't organized it yet. So it would be a good conversation to hear because I want to hear a compelling argument for why it works. So far, I haven't. Yeah, no, I, I feel like people were just getting very lucky and a little cocky uh, in the past five years, right? Yeah. Like even people who are super big on burn method only, right? Yeah. You can't burn anything right now, right? Like stop. Yeah, where did, that so idea. two things that went away is wholesaling and burring and largely yeah. seem to have gone away. A lot of a lot of crickets, which I mean, all the burr stories were sexy and had everybody wanting to look up real estate podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, most of the conversations I have now is how people have transitioned or traveled further away to get uh, to get investments. And there are still success stories happening right now. Oh, I, I'm uh, sure. I'm sure. So you're talking about going to the States. And yeah. what 
what was on your mind? Because I talked to Andrew about this a little bit, even off camera, and he said you want, you guys wanted to kind of get the operations here stabilized, yeah, so that you could shift your focus. Oh, for sure, for sure. So number one thing is that uh, that's a shiny object to us because mm -hmm. there's no horizontal or vertical integration to our existing business, right? Yeah, like and you from, have a very integrated business. Oh yeah, yeah, from PM to sales, and even even within PM, we had a we had a you know like we had a sales team too get business right like project management right so there's multiple different components in the in the property management business but outside of that is sales and then after that is uh, investing raising capital from our so everything's all kind of integrated all together so the moment that we need to step into a different market now we need to look at our opportunity um uh, cost basically right and then how much more capital do we need to prepare to make sure that we can run that operation until you actually work mm -hmm. so right now honestly we're leaning more towards just partnering out with other people's project Right, get that like instead of us trying to get one or two projects, a uh, smaller project. Why not just partner up with something? Um, for example, like if your project is very, is allowing any other investors to come in and to really educate, like allow the opportunity for the investors to educate themselves on your on your projects. We'll be more than happy to actually discuss that opportunity. Uh, some people are kind of really big on the multifamily in Texas. Uh, I'm actually in touch with a couple couple groups. Um, I can't name them yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, just kind of like discuss uh, what would, what would be uh, what would look like um, if we, you know, kind of leverage our platform, get more investors into the project, and then that we can earn our piece into as part of a GP. Okay, so yeah, this is a, like a strategy of how you would get into some US. That's what I'm thinking yeah. because because uh, I want to keep it as passive as possible, right? Mm -hmm. That's not so the market. You wouldn't be I'm going yet. active in US. That would be more of a passive strategy. Not at this moment because right now I got I got a, a lot going on here. Yeah. yeah, not just that it's also family, right? That is, so. Well, yeah, you don't necessarily. But I, investing in the U.S. doesn't mean leaving living in Canada. Yeah, I'm just uh, I have a limiting belief, by the way. Like I, <laughs> I, I have a limiting belief on uh, buying something smaller because a lot of people are saying that you can buy a piece of real estate in in the U.S. kind of like a similar concept of buying a stock. You wouldn't need to go there and look at a property or meeting the team. Like you wouldn't try to meet the CEO of Facebook or Amazon or whatever, mm -hmm. right? But my concern here is that the operator in a public trading company, they're all super qualified, yeah. right? The, 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 yeah, the requirement to get into that position is much, much higher. Whereas property manager, realtor, uh, home inspector, the entry level is low, right? So if I only have a duplex or single family rental down the States, let's say in, mm -hmm. in a, uh, tenancy or yeah. whatever. Um, if I have someone operating there and I I I see them being a little, you know, like not not uh, being very honest, right? Mm -hmm. How do I actually pull them? How do I replace? And there's a lot of uh, moving parts. Yeah, for sure. Um, in my mind, I, I don't know how to solve. Yeah, right? I hear you. I hear you, and uh, that's something I thought about a lot too. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I've never been one to like just trust my team. Actually, I I was uh, early on, and that got me burnt. So I, I, oh, the project, the, the first the US, US stuff. Project. Yeah. I got, yeah. I got burned real bad. So I, you talked about seeing the ugly side of people. I saw like somebody who would steal from me and then act like a victim, like almost blame me. Like, and it was just like the most wild thing, the level of dishonesty and just lack of integrity that I saw. And I realized, you know, a truth that had been told to me, but it became like core knowledge was that, you know, especially in the US, but like there's a million people out there that would happily you know, rob you blind, take everything from you and wouldn't bat an eyelash, would not care. Uh, so 
that's why I, I determined that trust needed to be earned. And I would never put myself in a situation where somebody else had the upper hand on me. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I find myself there unintentionally, I'll back myself out of it or I'll find a way to get out of it, out of that. And I've given this advice to anybody who's asked me, oh, I'm going to hire a contractor. And I pretty much universally hear back from them after they give a deposit. And I told them not to, that it went really badly and mm -hmm. things are going slow. And um, it's all about leverage and who holds the power. So when you talk about, you know, investing in the States and not needing to you know, be there and see things like trusting others, it has to be done super, super diligently. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And, and the biggest thing is I, I look for people with something to lose. I know you've probably heard me say that. Um, but, uh, you know, so going to the meetups, I find it's a great way to get you, you have, you kind of enter that universe of everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's going to do something offside, it's going to get out that they did it. Yeah. That's a great place to start. Doesn't mean that's where you stop, but that's like, to me, that's a starting place. Yeah. So like that gave me some comfort to invest in Southwest Florida and yeah. feel like I had good boots on the ground that weren't going to just do funny things because it would come back to them. Yeah. You can hurt their reputation, basically. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All I have to do is say, oh, this person did this. Hey, did you hear? Actually, I did have one lender from that meetup that just totally uh, uh, jerked me around, so to speak. And it was very, uh, very unprofessional. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I tried to politely reach out to them and say, hey, this really went badly. Are you guys going to do anything to make, make this right? And uh, they offered me like a credit against my next deal. Um, oh my I'm like, God. yeah, I'm not doing another deal with you. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. The trust is like, the yeah. trust needs to be earned, basically. Yeah. You didn't yeah. earn it, so. So, but I mean, that's, hey, nothing's perfect, right? So mm -hmm. it's just kind of putting putting it together. But I look at like a guy like Karsten Howe, who he's, he's investing in five different U.S. cities right now that he's never been to. Never been to them. He's got an arbitrage portfolio of something like 80 plus in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Having not been to these cities, I'm like, wow the level of coordination double checks to like make sure that you've got you know backups to your plan um is huge but he's also not exposed in any one area too too much mm -hmm. right like he's finding ways to to hire people who uh, he uses an app called thumbtack which has a rating system so you can find contractors cleaning ladies and you know what have you that are rated so they have something to lose if they they do a bad job because you can share your story and say i see you know they stole my stuff or whatever yeah so interesting interesting so there are ways to do it but it all seems like work to your point it all seems like a lot of work yeah there's a so i call there's one thing like i i look at it a lot lately is the management debt mm -hmm. how much how much more uh, energy and uh, even structure that you need to put into manage your your whole team mm -hmm. if that management debt is too high it will come back to you at some point so uh investing remotely unless the reward is big enough i I, I've been very hesitant to actually try to do yeah. management debt. So you're saying the people that you employ to manage things will eventually not want to do it anymore if you put too much on them? Uh, no. So management debt mean, mean uh, what, what I really mean is that, for example, if I need to spend hours of time. Um, so you're talking about your time. My time yeah. and even like the my manager's time too, right? Mm -hmm. my, operation, I, my operation manager, like if he is focusing too, too much uh, time on solving mm -hmm. uh, the ground level people's uh, uh, or people who are at the, yeah. the front line, if he's spending way too much time, that means that something's wrong. It's either the people's wrong or 
the uh, SOP is incorrect, mm -hmm. right? So we have to find out which one it is, right? And then we need to keep improving and optimizing it, mm -hmm. right? Because if I cannot pull the, uh, my operation manager's time back, yeah, and he won't be able to support these people. Right, better. right, right. So, yeah. so you can't structure something so that you're just adding on a new task that you can never reduce the scope of. Like, yeah. and that's where I look for systems. And you, I was talking to you before about uh, doing CRMs and you know project management software, things like that. Like, yeah. I think that that's kind of the way if you're going to do a strategy down there that you have to have something and, and anywhere. Like, you've got to have those systems in place. Oh yeah, and that's what I'm working on right now is ro rolling out a strategy where my assistant can do a bunch of the stuff that I would normally do, mm -hmm. and then we'll use systems for the rest, and then we'll bring in employees as as profit for sure. uh, ju justifies. Yeah, yeah. So like the yeah, but I I agree with you. I don't want to do anything that's going to in perpetuity require my time. Like mm -hmm. that can't be. We can't do that because I already have enough things to do. That for instance, this podcast. Like I have to be here for this. Like I, yeah. there's no replacing it. I'm in the name of the show, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can replace yourself. Yeah, <laughs> Property Hustlers is a brand you can build. And, and by the way, that that was the reason why we decided not go with a personal not name. Not put your names. Yeah, in. because now Andrew can show up. I can show up. Maybe at some point, there's mm -hmm. going to be other people that can show up. But for for podcasts, I noticed that it's a very networking. Um, I guess uh, it's it's uh, there's a huge components for networking as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to actually pass out to other people either. Yeah. No. But. Of course. Well, that that's you know the counter argument to to your point, and you have a valid one. But there's there's pros and cons to that. Uh, I I looked at it and I thought if I want people to pick up the phone when I call, read the email when I email, I want my name on it. And mm -hmm. and it was it was basically a a calling card, business card. Um, to add credibility just like being on tv does for people and it was i've told the story before but it was based on what kevin o'leary told me at a conference i went to uh because he graduated from ivy so i went to like a school sponsored event and i got to like talk to him and uh, he said that he would always be on tv because no matter where he went no matter who he called people would always take his call or see him because mm. he was that guy that was on tv nice so I thought, hey, podcast does the same thing. That's a big part of why I started it back when. Plus, I don't, you know, obviously mind talking about real estate and I like networking. And yeah. uh, but it's for me, I've never been. I guess I felt a bit a little bit reserved. So it was like a lot easier to be able to just host an event and have people come talk to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to go be that shy, awkward guy that didn't know anybody. You know, trying to edge my way into conversations which i never liked doing and right. all of a sudden people just knew who i was and they came up to me and said hey i was listening to your show it's a great icebreaker oh yeah no for <laughs> sure for sure no i love it i love yeah. it i think i think honestly there's a that part is uh something that we started paying a little bit more attention to i think when we first started thinking about property hustlers is the inference mm -hmm. that we can have right yeah. because uh, i do actually treat, uh see that as being part of the network mm -hmm. oh sorry net worth right like people talk about network Right. Yeah. I also see inference. I see that your skill, right? Yeah. Those type of, there's a multiple different things that contribute to our own net yeah. worth. And I think that the thing with the, the content is it has to be done with some sort of a strategy to monetize it. Cause it won't monetize itself, obviously. No. Um, no. I mean, to date, like I've, I've had some advertisements on the show and, and I've had, uh, yeah, you know, some coaching revenue and what have you. Uh, but, uh, the biggest thing is, is the people who I can call up. Yeah, and learn from awesome. and talk to and i like that's like it connected us ultimately mm -hmm. and um how many other people i could say the same thing like mm -hmm. anyone who i feel like i should know in this area i've had at least the opportunity to you know somebody knows somebody who 
you know, I haven't, I'm not saying I've talked to everybody. I sure haven't, but it's, uh, it's been a great foot in the door. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like, like you said, influence is there. So it's like, what, what are you going to do? And, you know, I've always taken it very seriously. Like I never wanted to bring on a sponsor or any sort of offering on the show that I didn't feel like 100% like resonated with what I thought was true. Right. So right. You, you, I could just sell advertising space to anybody, but what if I don't agree with their product? So I'm not going to do that. So I've been very yeah. slow to do any of that. <laughs> it took me like four years to bring on the first one, <laughs> but uh, trying to make up for that now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. You've been, yeah. No, I've been listening to a lot of your shows. Yeah. From yeah, way back or? From way back. Yeah. Okay. It's awesome. Cool. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. And that's the cool thing. Like we, like you come on the show, like there's already a little bit of background there. You already know my story and, yeah. um, you know, I, it's just, it makes it so cool to network with people. For sure. And now you guys are going to come to the golf tournament next year. Hey, <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. We're not very good. We're yeah. like super immature, but, but honestly, yeah. Golfing is pretty fun. Yeah. It's actually funny. Like we have a number of people who come uh, who don't golf. So they just actually will just ride in the cart, maybe take a shot or two and then just sit back in the cart. That's funny. The That's funny. I just want to hang out, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, so we talked about some systems you use offline. Uh, what are some some things that you've implemented in your business technology wise or otherwise that have allowed you to sort of buy your time back so you can focus on growth, you can focus on the next move? Okay, so number one, there's no system that fit into old business, right? So yeah. I had, uh, so currently we have, we use Buildium for uh, property management. Okay, Buildium, yeah. Yeah, to use, a, to keep track of a rent roll, owner draw, uh, owner contributions and all that stuff. Uh, so that's a so so that's a for property management for the sales. So we use follow up boss, okay. right? But I'm actually transitioning that out because I just feel like there's too many uh, too much friction for me for, mm -hmm. for me and my team, and we're a small team, right? We don't need right. that many uh um that many the uh, I guess a uh, uh, technology in in our current procedure, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, for our coaching our mentorship, like we actually use a a goal a high level go high level. Okay. Yeah, so that one keep track of all the DMs, all the uh, messages, uh, emails, and all that stuff. So, so that's like a CRM to capture leads. Yeah, okay. yeah. these are kind of like a CRM for each organization. Yeah. And then on top of that, we use QuickBooks to keep track of everything. Yeah, for sure. Right? Um, oh, there's many different software that I can talk about. Lucy Chart to keep track of all the SOP, right? People, if anybody has any questions about a position, a responsibility, uh, how each process works, they go into Lucy Chart, they can click through different things. I myself use a mind mapping tool. It's called XMind. It's free. Uh, it just offload a lot of my ideas into my laptop. Um, yeah, because sometimes I, when you have too many things you can process, I just like yeah. to keep dumping it. So anything that you're thinking, you just that's kind of like journaling, but onto a laptop. Yeah, so yeah. that I can see, basically. Yeah, and yeah. it organizes it for you? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Like the things that I need to use usually is a Google Calendar, Google Tasks, and those are enough. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I have a very like a tons of smaller ones, and we build out a lot of spreadsheet too, because uh, like I mentioned, like the trying to fit everything into one software, it becomes like too much work. We use Notion. Uh, sometimes when we need to script the videos and all that stuff, our sales script, right? Mm -hmm. We put everything in there so that people can click in. We used to do Monday.com, but Monday.com like to us is also not too easy to use. Okay. Yeah. So you've tried a lot of different stuff. Oh, tons. Well, I spend so yeah. much time on this some stuff. I find it like anytime you're going to bring this stuff into your operation, it's just like I hesitate on this stuff. I'm like, do I want to spend another 300 a month on this? Or, oh, yeah, no, they're or expensive. Whatever. They're expensive. And will we use it? 
because I've had plenty of stuff I paid for. We just didn't use it. So I ended up canceling it. Me too. And, yeah. <laughs> and some of them I didn't cancel until six months later. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you waste, you know, you waste a few months in there. Yeah. So you're the first one who asked me that question, by the way, software about CRM. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to be more strategic if I'm, if I'm planning, cause some people say, I'll try something out. I'll, I'll just try it out. I'm working on something where I'm not planning on trying. I'm just going to do it. So I want to do it right. Like yeah. try implies that you can fail. That is an option. Do implies that even if you have hiccups, you'll still do it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It really does. Right. So try is something we should probably eliminate. Oh no. Try should. Right. And those type of like a yeah. maybe type of word, like, no, you do it. Yeah. We right? do it. Right. Do you take what you're doing seriously? Mm -hmm. And, and do you, do you believe what you're doing will work? And if you're still saying try, then you don't. Yeah. So work on that. <laughs> exactly. And I think too many people got got caught on details, right? They were like, ah, if I do this, this might happen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what happened? Like, I haven't figured out this smooth pieces. I always tell people just focus on directional um, mm -hmm. decision, right? If it's 70% directional correct, just go for it. 70? Okay. I say 80, but yeah. 70 uh, is pretty close to 80. I agree <laughs> with you. Um, I think that also don't be afraid to spend uh, if somebody's offering mentorship and you know they're doing what you want to do, then why would you be afraid of spending the money on that? I think that right. that, that makes sense. Uh, so look for people doing what it is that you want to do and, and, it, and it's working for them today. Hit them up. <laughs> shorten the learning curve. Yeah, you can right. shorten the, the learning curve because inventing the wheel is something I just don't want to do. Like I've done it so much in my life. Like, I, <laughs> I, there's somebody else who's already done something. Why do I want to go figure that out? I'm just trying to eliminate because that's an old habit of mine. I've just everything I can to just eliminate that. Okay, so yeah. surely somebody knows this. Who can we ask? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, the who not how who thing. Who not how? Yeah, I'm Love always it. doing that because like mm -hmm. we're talking a lot about you know equity raise right now and you know next steps and you know structured GPLPs and full full disclosure. I've never done that, so I've, I've raised money other ways. But I, you know, so we sat down with somebody who does that a lot and all these questions got answered and that's it. That's the way to do it. So yeah. there's always, uh, there's always a way to, to your point, like to get to that 70% of knowing or 80% of knowing so that you feel like you're ready to act. Never wait till a hundred. In my opinion, that's just my opinion. Um, you can't even get to a hundred percent without doing it. Is it possible to it. get to a hundred? You no. have to do first. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're super risk averse, you're going to wait till a hundred and never do anything. And that's okay too. If that's okay with you. Then why not save yeah. on the mental engine? Just not even think about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? just, just focus on your day job. Exactly. Yeah. Or other things you can do without taking whatever that perceived risk is. So, yeah. um, do you have any, you know, general insights you wanted to, to go over today that we didn't? You know what? Um, I think it's very difficult to cover everything in one hour. Um, Super. Yeah. yeah I just want to have a good conversation and yeah. we'll have you back. <laughs> yeah. So like the investment yeah. side, honestly, just make sure that you're not sticking to one thing only, right? Yeah. There's no one str strategy that fits into all the real estate cycle. Like I couldn't even burn anything between 2010 all the way to 2015. It was yeah. so difficult, right? Like throwing the capital, uh, sorry, down payment plus renovation. You can pull things back after the renovation. It only happened in the past, like, like oh, so it wasn't working then. It wasn't working. It wasn't that really way. working until things were going up constantly, exactly. right? Be because the appreciation was so small. The right? appreciation would would save you though, like say after 2016, 2016 and onward, the appreciation was kind of like saving Crazy. everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So don't just use one uh, strategy to uh, mm-hmm. uh, for for your entire portfolio. And I think another thing is I always look for a scaling point. If one thing is taking a little too much effort, you're not doing it right, mm-hmm. right? I always question myself, am I doing this correctly? Because it just feels like there's too much friction, right? Like look for different help, reassess your strategy, reassess your, your portfolio and see if there's anything that you can optimize. Mm-hmm. There has to be something that, that will, because the way that I view business is that falling into the right sequence will make everything super effortless, mm-hmm. right? If it's not in the right sequence, you're going to have the cash flow problem. You're going to have the, the gap in knowledge and all that stuff. So so always look for the, your scaling point. And the last thing is, sorry. So just to clarify, so the right sequence, how do you mean? The right sequence of? For example, um, just, just doing this, without property management, it wouldn't make sense for me to uh, start a sales team. Okay. Right. So the sequence of growth. Okay. Se- sequence of growth, right? Everything, I think, uh, I think any successful businessman, they definitely do something correctly. Um, yeah. in terms of the sequence. Yeah, okay. Right? I, I think business is very sequential. So you're beginning with the end in mind as well here. Yeah. Like, ha- what's my grand picture? Okay, these are the pieces that fit in. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. And the third thing for a lot of real estate investors is that cash flow, number one, is not passive as well, uh, as we thought it could be. Mm-hmm. And number two is I figure out your how, you, how you're going to capitalize mm-hmm. um, uh, from, like in your business model because... Mm-hmm. People were talking about 50-50 structure. I heard that a lot of people doing that, six, seven, eight properties. They still have a full-time job because they haven't figured out a way to capitalize uh, and replace their income. I think in, I think lack of income in real estate investing is something that we should definitely talk a little bit more. Yes, a lot of people are abandoning the, the short-term money. Like They want to have the big portfolio. They want to quit their job, but they don't have a plan for that short-term income. That's pretty common. Yeah, yeah I mean, well... Probably 80, 90% of people. Yeah, they just want they just want the big portfolio, which hey, I'm guilty of too. Like I don't I'm not really motivated by the short term. Like the short term mm-hmm. is just covering basic needs. Like I'm interested in the long-term wealth. For sure. But uh I also like of course being able to afford things and not being, you know, required to go to a job. So, you know, <laughs> best to work towards those things and keep them uh, working well. Yeah. Um yeah, very very valid point and I see it all the time. I see a lot of people in such a hurry to quit their jobs. Uh, there's a time and place, but I think a lot of people are too too eager to do that. Yeah, because yeah, you'll it's it's more about structuring your life so that you don't get stressed out in six months, so you don't burn out from the stress in six months because of something you did to your lifestyle, like oh, how you set yourself up. Yeah. For me, I know I need to have a good buffer of just cash available to me to just be able to sleep at night. I know to know I'm good, like. Uh, so I do that. And others might say that that's inefficient because I could be having that cash working on investments or whatever. I don't care. No, that's a mental stress. That's for my too. mental health. Like, yeah. that's it. So, yeah. yeah, you probably have your own things that you oh, do tons, too. Yeah. Tons, tons. Yeah, that's why yeah. I always uh, I always look at cash reserve. It has to be at a certain level. Mm-hmm. If I don't do that, all monetization needs to be a little heavier on certain things. Yeah, yeah. Right. Bring that, yeah, bring that up first and then we'll talk about long-term investing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So focus on the short term first, get that working, then then keep get back into the long term. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good sequence. To your point, that's the sequence that you need to have. Um, awesome. So where do people learn more about you? Um, I think the easiest way is uh, our YouTube channel, uh, Property Hustlers. That's number one, and uh, you can also DM me on uh, my Instagram. So ping underscore real estate underscore real estate okay awesome well uh yeah thanks for doing this it was a great conversation and uh yeah i'm really glad that i got a chance to meet you guys and 
it took us way too long, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've been very shy. Just so you know, like we've been like we don't feel good about being on social media. It took us a long time to overcome that yeah. discomfort. Yeah, I don't either. Like I, people who follow me know, like I'm not really that great with my socials because I really don't like it. <laughs> right. Like I love connecting with people. I just mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I I would post pictures of my son, but I also don't want to do too much of that and. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm more actually kind of a private guy, so it's weird having this podcast. But I almost forget the cameras running, and like we're just having a conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> save for save for the few uh, cues and the the outro. Yeah. So, anyways, appreciate you doing this, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, thanks so much. Here's how infinite banking works in under sixty seconds. You have to save your money somewhere. Well, we think the best place to save it is inside a cash value life insurance policy. You save some money in there, it grows tax-free for the rest of your life. Then an opportunity or emergency comes, comes along. Let's say a few years down the road, you can buy a business, buy a property, buy an income-producing asset. You leverage the infinite banking policy, borrow against your asset, take advantage of the opportunity. But your money still stays in the infinite banking policy. You're not borrowing your money. You're borrowing the insurance company's money. So your money's in the policy, it's in the opportunity, and it's providing a death benefit. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You get to retirement and you have this massive cash value life insurance. Leverage that tax-free and you don't repay those loans. You sit on the beach and you spend that money tax-free every month doesn't show up on a tax return, and you leave your family a huge tax-free death benefit. Hey friends, I'm sure you've been noticing that cash flow is getting a bit tougher with these higher interest rates. This is why I've noticed a lot of investors shifting over to a more passive approach and also to optimize their overall returns. Tune into my passive real estate investing webinar that I'm hosting on November 8th, 2023 at 7 p.m., where I'll have special guests Carmen Campanero and Nick Wright talking about what private equity is, how you can invest in it, what private REITs are, and how you can even have your TFSAs and RSPs invested in real estate where it would otherwise not be possible. Space is limited to this webinar, so please take a moment now and register your attendance at www.andrew-hines.com forward slash webinar or go ahead and use the link in the show notes of this episode. I'll look forward to seeing you there.